last November, I don't know if you guys remember this, last November, something amazing happened right here in our community uh, in the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Edwin Castro, and he won the largest lottery in U.S. history, $2.04 billion. You remember that? He, just, uh, just here in like uh, Arcadia, I think he bought the ticket. So uh, $2.04 billion, but check this out. After taxes, and because he chose to take the, the one lump sum, he only received $996 million. Don't you feel bad for him? Yeah. But, but they, they took over a billion dollars of his winnings from him. Um, but uh, he's going to have to make do on $996 million somehow. And that doesn't go as far as it used to go. Have you seen the price of gas? <laughs> so that's... Do you ever think about that, though? Like, what if I won the lottery? Don't say you don't. I know you do. I think about it from time to time. And, and then somebody said, you know, you have to buy a ticket to win. I was like, oh, maybe that's my problem. But, but you, you think, gosh, if I... Even, even like a million-dollar lottery, would that not blow your mind? And you're like, well, that other guy won two billion, a million. What good is that? But... That would just be an incredible thing. And you start thinking about, okay, what would I do? First, I'm going to pay off these bills, and then I'm going to you know, go on a vacation. I'm going to give a bunch of money to charity. I'm going to take care of my loved ones. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, retire or work for free, um, travel the world, buy season tickets, uh, you know, or maybe blow the whole thing and go to like a Taylor Swift concert. You could do that. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, there's countless horror stories, and we all have heard them, right, about what happens to people after they win these huge lottery um, bonanzas, uh, and they help us remember that it turns out that having money doesn't solve all your problems, right? In fact, sometimes it brings new problems. You read about these lottery winners that get kidnapped and killed. I read about uh, one guy, he, he won several million dollars in the lottery, and his daughter and son-in-law kidnapped him and murdered him so they could w get the inheritance. So hey, family values right there. Um, people get murdered, families get broken. Uh, everyone says the same thing. All these people came out of the woodwork. Everybody wanted some of my money. Um, countless stories like that. Maybe one of the famous ones, a guy named Jack Whitaker, he, he won $315 million in the lottery. Eight months later, he uh, was robbed of $545,000 in cash at a strip club. Now, can we just go on record and say that going to a strip club is a bad idea no matter what? But if you go to a strip club with $545,000, first of all, that's a lot of $1 bills, right? But th that's just absolutely insane. He was robbed of $545,000. Um, a short time later, his daughter died of a drug over, his granddaughter died of a drug overdose from the allowance she was giving him that she, he, was, he was giving her that she was using to buy drugs. A month later, her mother, his daughter, also died of a drug overdose in the same circumstances. And his quote is this, 
I wish I had torn that lottery ticket up. Be careful what you wish for. Might just get it. Hollywood portrays the devil as a horrible, ugly, scary monster who wants to horrify everyone and wants to traumatize us and haunt our lives and all of that kind of stuff because that's what sells for scary movies. But the Bible describes the devil as an angel of light. It says he disguises himself as an angel of light. He his lies to us seem harmless oftentimes. Uh, they, they even seem attractive and appealing. And so that's why I thought it would be helpful for us if we're gonna look at some of these major truths of scripture to, to help us to understand that these truths that God gives us that are transformative to our lives actually stand in complete opposition to the lies that Satan tells us. And, and one of his most favorite lies is this one, he who dies with the most, fill in the blank, wins, right? He who dies with the most toys, he who dies with the most money, he who dies with the most trophies, he who dies with the most relationships, he who dies with the most career success, he who dies with the most fame, he who dies having had the most fun, wins. That's the way the story goes. Uh, some of you know this, uh, I grew up in the car business. My dad owned car dealerships, and so I was sort of born into that world. And, uh, and I remember uh, early in my career in the car business, having a sales manager in a sales meeting say this to us. He said, what the customer needs most is whatever we have for sale. Interesting, right? So Now, now, by that time, I was a Christian, and so I ignored all of that stuff and thought, well, I'm going to try to meet people's needs and help them. But the way he illustrated that was, he says, a guy drives onto the lot, and uh, he's got six kids, and he's looking for a minivan or a station wagon, but what we have is a two-seater Corvette, then your job is to convince him that what he and his family need is a Corvette, which, by the way, most of us do need a Corvette, let's be honest. <laughs> And, and, uh, <laughs> and I hope I don't offend anybody here. I hate to compare a car salesman to Satan. It, <laughs> if the pitchfork fits, I guess. But, but that's exactly how Satan operates, you guys. I, I've seen him do it again and again. He tries to convince us that what we need is what he's selling. Uh, relationships, if, if only you could get out of this bad relationship and into a new relationship with that person over there because the problem in your relationships is never you, it's the other person, right? Or, or you know, he says, um, if, if only your sex life was better, if only you could forget about your problems, if only you could change jobs, if only you had more money, if only you could finally make it in your career, if only you had some fame, if only somebody would pay attention to your talent, and the story goes on and on and on and on. He tries to convince us that life would be great if only we had more something. But this is not really a sermon series about Satan and his lies, it's a sermon series about God and his truth that sets us free. Now, here's a quiz. 
without looking at your Bibles, is there anybody who could tell us what Philippians 4.13 says? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't you love that verse? I love that verse. The whole of Christendom loves that verse. It's the coolest verse. I can do it. I can do anything. Anything is possible. I can do all things because Christ strengthens me. You know what that means? That means that here it is, the beginning of the NFL season, and everybody is saying, my Rams are going to win three, maybe four games, and I say, Super Bowl, baby, because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If you, if you just think positive, everything's going to work out. We love that verse. Athletes get it tattooed on their bodies. And Satan takes God's word and twists it so that he deceives us into thinking that God made promises that he never made. So when those promises are not fulfilled, we will blame God for it and lose our faith. So join me in Philippians 4. Take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Philippians. It's laid in the back of your Bible. You're going to come to Galatians, then Ephesians, and Philippians. These are Paul's letters all lined up one after the other. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at the truth that can set us free. And as you're turning there, let me just tell you a little bit about Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, it, It really doesn't matter. Probably have eight commentaries in my office on the book of Philippians, and all of them say the same thing when you look under theme. It says the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. From beginning to end, Paul is talking about joy, how to have a life of joy, what constitutes a joyful life, how God wants to give us joy, and on and on and on. He's teaching us about joy. It's a book about joy. From beginning to end, that's what it's about, which is kind of ironic because Paul only spent a short time in the city of Philippi, and while he was there, he had zero fun. He went into town, started his ministry. He was immediately taken into custody. He was beaten with rods in the public square. He was chained up and thrown into a dungeon where he was chained to the wall and put in stocks. And then he experienced an earthquake while he was in the dungeon. And then the next day, he was chased out of town and ran for his life. That was his experience in Philippi. And when he writes a letter back to these people, he writes to them all about joy. And on top of that, when he's writing this letter, guess where he is? Good guess. It seems like he's always in prison, right? He was in prison, and so he's writing to the Philippians while he's in prison, these people with whom he had such a difficult time, and now he's having another difficult time, and he writes them a letter about joy. Fascinating to me. It's kind of ironic. And apparently, his situation while he was writing this letter had become rather dire. He didn't have enough money to support himself. Now, uh, in those days, in the Roman Empire, jails uh, were not supported by the taxpayers. Do you know who paid for the jails? The prisoners. You had to pay for meals or you didn't get fed. You, You had to have someone on the outside who would take care of you, otherwise you would not be 
taken care of. And so Paul has reached a point of poverty and he is in prison and he's not eating right and he's not having anything because there's no one taking care of him. And it's there, we pick up the story in Philippians chapter four when he addresses this issue. We're gonna look at it beginning in verse 10. As he closes his letter to the Philippians, he says this, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. There's that joy theme again. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. You see, he's writing in response to their letter that they sent to him along with a gift and a financial offering. So now he's got some money. Now he's eating again. Now he's doing much better because they made the sacrifice and sent him this care package. And that's what he's thanking them for. Then he says this, not that I speak from once, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. When you look at that verse in context, it seems a little different, doesn't it? He's not saying I can win every game. He's not saying I can reach all my goals. He's not saying I'm never gonna struggle. I'm never gonna suffer. If I just have enough faith, I can make it. What he's saying is I have learned to be content even when I'm not making it. I have learned to be content even when I'm struggling, even when I'm hungry, even when I'm imprisoned, even when I'm poor, even when I have been deserted by the people who love me, I can actually do that without affecting my joy. I'm still joyful even in those circumstances. And by the way, he's not trying to be a martyr here. He says, by the way, I'm also joyful when I'm well-fed. Amen, it's not bad. I'm also joyful when I'm free. I'm also joyful when I'm with the people that I love. I can be content no matter what my circumstances may be. He's learned to be content in whatever circumstances he finds himself. Wow. Ask yourself this question. Can I say that about my own life? Am I content no matter what my circumstances? This is not theoretical for Paul. He's writing from prison, and he says that he has learned a secret. It's the secret of contentment. Look at verse 12 again. Uh, Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. He's learned the secret of contentment. So in verse 13, when Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, he's not making a motivational speech. He's not trying to to say that nothing will be impossible if we have enough faith. He's saying that our circumstances do not have the power to steal our joy. That was your amen cue, so I'm gonna repeat that one. He's saying that our circumstances do not have the power to steal our joy. He's saying that even the harshest circumstances cannot take away our contentment if we're in Christ. Now that 
is perspective. And unfortunately, it's a perspective that most people lack terribly. We really believe that our joy and contentment depend upon our circumstances. But we're confusing contentment with happiness. Joy and contentment are not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. We talk about this all the time. Happiness depends upon your circumstance. Win the lottery and you're happy. Get the tax bill and you're sad, right? But the book of Philippians is not about happiness. It's about joy. Jesus came to bring us joy. Think about this all the way back to the angel's announcement of the birth of Christ. What is their announcement? Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's joy. Joy comes in Christ. And by the way, Jesus never pretended that we could live a life of ease and never-ending happiness here on earth. In fact, I want you to flip over to, to the Gospel of John. So it's the uh, fourth book of your New Testament, Gospel of John, chapter 16. And listen to this. And I know you're sick of me reading you this verse, but I'm gonna keep reading it to you. John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus says this. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. You will have trouble in this world. Does anybody disagree with that? I mean, if you've been alive for like 16, 17 minutes, you know, right? In this world, you have trouble. You come out of the birth canal, lights are shining in your face, and you start screaming your lungs out because in this world, you have trouble. He promises that. That's what he tells us. But he says, in me, in me, he says, in me, he says, you will have peace for I have overcome the world. We've got to keep it straight, you guys. These, these preachers that are out there promising that if we just send an offering to their church, then all of our troubles will go away are lying to us. They are flying in private jets and our troubles are still here. Jesus said in this world you will have troubles, but in me you have peace. What a strange idea. Peace in spite of trouble. Contentment in spite of hardships. Joy despite disappointment. Where do you get those things? In him, he says. And so we're thinking one more lottery ticket, one more promotion, one new boyfriend, one, one pay raise, you know, one diet that finally works, and I'll be fine. And he says, no, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. But in him... You can have peace. Paul put it another way. Go to Galatians. So we were, we were in Philippians. You're in the same neighborhood there with Galatians. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So go to Galatians chapter five. 
Jesus said, in him we will have peace. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5. Because Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, right before he ascended, he said to his followers, I have to go away so that I can send my helper, the Spirit. And the Spirit will live within you and will not leave you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And here's what it says about those who have the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have been crucified, with, have, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit, he says, we're gonna have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that come in him. Those are things you do not find in the world. All of those shiny things that Satan waves in front of our eyes and goes, boy, if you just had this, everything would be fine. It's all counterfeit. He goes, in me you have love, joy, peace, patience. All those things you so desperately long for. He promised trouble in the world, but he said in him we will have this. In 1 Timothy, Paul talks about it another way. So just keep going to the right. A couple more books to the right, you're gonna get to 1 Timothy and go to 1 Timothy chapter six. In 1 Timothy six, beginning in verse six, listen to what he says. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. Have you ever noticed that? You ever see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer? <laughs> if we have food and covering, with these we shall be what? Content. So word that hardly even gets used in our vernacular anymore in our society. Content, contentment, at ease, with peace, able to patiently endure because I am content. He says, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich, verse nine, fall into temptation and a snare. See, we're talking about the lies of the devil. It's a temptation, it's a snare. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Those are the things that bring contentment. And he says that money can't buy it. And, and, and I know, like, again, if I handed out a quiz and everybody saw on number three said, can money buy contentment? I know you would say no. I know you could get the answer right on the quiz. But I ask you, since we all know that, why is it that we spend so much time and energy in our lives pursuing just getting a little bit more materially? And guys, 
I'm not knocking material wealth. God blesses many of us with material wealth. In fact, everybody in this room is richer than 99% of the people in the world. So he has already blessed us with material wealth. I'm not saying that, it's, that there's anything wrong with being blessed by God financially, driving a nice car, living in a good neighborhood, any of that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that unless you put your hope in it unless you actually believe that that's your purpose, unless you think that somehow that's gonna fill the emptiness that is inside of you, because I'm telling you, I'm richer today than I've ever been before in my life, but that hasn't had any impact on my contentment whatsoever. When I was flipping burgers for a buck 85 an hour and I had Jesus in my heart, I was every bit as content as I am with a nice car and a nice home and the suburbs and all that stuff. Contentment doesn't come from money. In fact, it's the love of money and the belief that it will bring us true satisfaction which has led countless people off a cliff. Paul calls it a snare. It leads many to destruction. And not just money. Again, fill in the blank. He who dies with the most power wins. He who dies with the most fame wins wins. He who dies with the most accomplishments wins, or whatever else we think that will make us happy. I believe this is the first time in all of my years of preaching that I have ever quoted this guy, but I ran across a quote from the actor Jim Carrey. Listen to what he said. I, I'll do a weird face. While I, no, I won't. <laughs> Listen to what Jim Carrey said. He said, I think everybody should be rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Wow. Isn't it interesting that so many of the people who seem to have everything this world has to offer are the most tragic stories we know of? Elvis, Michael Jackson, Marilyn Monroe, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, most of Hollywood, I cannot imagine a more empty feeling than being able to buy whatever you want and still not being fulfilled. Can you imagine that? Like the rest of us, we think, well, if I just won the lottery, I'd be okay. No, they've won the lottery. They're famous, they're rich, they're immortalized. Everybody loves them. There's a servant taking care of everything. And oftentimes, too often, they're absolutely empty on the inside. So there's all this drug addiction, there's all this suicide, there's all of these failed relationships famously in the richest and most famous people in our society. Guys, somehow Satan's lie doesn't hold up. And, and let me be clear, I don't judge them. My heart breaks for them. How horrible must it be to have everything and know you have nothing? But remember what we saw last week. Paul only had one purpose in life, to be pleasing to God. And so he was content in prison because he was being pleasing to God. He was content with little and he was content with much as long as he knew that he was being pleasing to God. His circumstances had no power over him. 
What an incredible freedom that is. He had learned the secret of contentment. And I think that very few people understand that secret today. And so Satan keeps lying to us and we keep buying it in one form or another. He keeps offering counterfeits like money and fame and happiness and and Jesus offers so much more. It's a lie. Here's the truth. He who dies with the most toys still dies. And if he dies without Jesus, the scripture says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But he who dies with Jesus still lives. And he lives with joy and contentment that can never, ever be taken away. And so this is really a moment to to take a second and search your soul and ask yourself, is there like an emptiness inside of me that I keep trying to fill with something? Have, Have I been striving after all this stuff in hopes that somehow if I get some more of this stuff, whatever fills in my blank, that everything will be good? Guys, it's a recipe for disaster because you'll get some of that stuff And everything will not be good. And when that happens, it's a dark, dark moment. If you're empty inside and and you're finding that what the world has to offer doesn't fill that void, let me just tell you, Jesus is the only thing that will ever fill that void. A, A personal relationship with the God who made you is the only access you will ever have to true contentment in your life. There is nothing wrong with wanting good things. There is nothing wrong with setting goals and striving for those goals and achieving those goals. There's nothing wrong with providing a wonderful lifestyle for your family and all of that kind of stuff. But guys, you could give your children everything if they don't have Jesus they have nothing. I think about Jack Whitaker, an allowance to his granddaughter, spent on drugs and death. Just remember that contentment with little is better than anxiety with much. God is our source of contentment. And regardless of our changing circumstances, he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And that, my friends, is truth that sets you free. Let's stand together and pray. God, it's such an honor to be able to open your word and see this truth so prominent, so evident, that, that it overcomes the lies that we've been fed in, in, in this world and in, in everything we see, everything we hear, everything we read, all the values of this world that they never fulfill God. And you always do. And so I just wanna praise you and thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you that you have created us with a deep and, and ongoing need for a relationship with you, and you've offered that to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, every one of us is gonna walk out of this room 
into a world that's going to keep shining stuff in our eyes, keep tempting us with promises that are not kept, billboards that mislead us, commercials that make us think that if we just drank the right beer or wore the right cologne, everything would be perfect. But God, we know that your word is true. We know that contentment only comes from you. And so we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you've offered it to us. I pray for anyone within the sound of my voice who is feeling that emptiness in their heart right now. Father, that they would just open their heart to you. Submit to your lordship in their lives. Turn their lives over to your power and let you be the source of contentment and joy that they've been longing for. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.